Okay, we're going to continue this morning in Ephesians, uh, or in Ephesians 6. You can turn there if you like. We're, uh, we're going to look at starting in Ephesians 6.10. Last week I, I finished what I was, uh, what I had to say in the, the group of teachings that had to do with relationships and roles. And um, we're getting close to the end of this letter. Dangerously close to finishing this. Um, I knew that the end would go a little faster than the beginning, uh, but uh, what's that now? Yes, that. Uh, but we're gonna we're gonna pick up here in uh, verse ten, where Paul says Paul makes this statement: "Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might." And then, and then he begins to describe what he calls the whole armor of God. Um, let me just start by reminding us that <clears throat> what Paul says here, it's the easiest thing in the world because of famili- familiarity with verses or concepts in our mind to, to just read this thing as though it is a just a verse in the Bible. But I, just let me remind us that this is a reality to Paul. And I know that sounds extremely basic and obvious, but sometimes, like I just said, because Bible verses can become so familiar to us and ideas, our ideas about those verses can become so established. Many people in this room have heard some of these verses for years and years, uh, many years. Um, we, we forget that these things were not Bible verses to the men that wrote them. Uh, before they were ever verses in a Bible, they, they, were, they were letters. And before they were ever letters, they were realities and experiences in the soul of people like Peter and John and, and Paul. So the, the question, when we're looking at Scripture, the question, the question is never simply, what does this particular Bible verse mean? That's not what we're aiming for question is always, what exactly was Paul experiencing of Christ when he was attempting to describe it with these words? Attempting to describe it with, with language. And so it's amazing how, without even realizing it, we, we, we replace a, a literal experience of Christ in the soul with, uh, with uh, an answer to a question in the mind. In other words, we, we often think that we understand a particular verse if we can uh, say something about what that particular verse means. So, what I'm trying to say is that what, what a verse means is never going to be found in words or explanations or, or descriptions of things. That's never going to be what a verse means. What a verse means is going to be found when, when, when your soul my soul actually encounters and learns the very thing that motivated Paul to write this sentence. Okay, that, that's, that's, if you want to know what Paul meant by be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, then, then we need to encounter the Lord in the way that moved him to pen that, that, that sentence. So, with that in mind, 
what did Paul mean when he said, Be strong in the Lord and, and the strength of his might? I know that my natural mind quickly assumes things when I read that verse. I know that that probably all of our, uh, you know, we, we, maybe we've read books or heard uh, comments about standing strong in the Lord. But, but again, that's not our question. I, I, I don't care what you think you know or what you've heard about this verse. My question is, what was Paul experiencing in his soul with respect to the power of the Lord and standing in the strength of God's might? That's what I'm interested in knowing. I hope that's what all of us are interested in knowing. And I I think that uh, it's sometimes it's difficult for us uh, to even... Begin to approach uh, a statement like this because we are so uh, familiar with standing in our own might, standing in our own power. We're perfectly accustomed to uh, abiding in our own resources, living according to our own capacities, living according to our own abilities. And so right at the outset, when we read a verse like this, almost always, in, in, in my experience, immediately I begin to imagine God's strength as something that's added to my own. God's resources being added to my own. God's capacities or assistance. Be strong in the Lord. Oh yeah, I love when that happens. Or oh, that's what I need Him to do tomorrow or today. You know, God's capacities or assistance being added to us where we have a felt need. But I don't believe that's what Paul's talking about here. I don't think that Paul's referring to relying on the power of the Lord when, when our power appears insufficient. And that's such a common idea in the body of Christ. But I, honestly, I, I know for certain, I don't have a question about it in my heart, that that would be a foreign concept to the Apostle Paul. Um, just think for a minute how how... How many times we say or we think things like, boy, I'm really going to need the Lord's help on this one. Or, there's no way I can handle this situation without divine assistance. Or even, even I'm sure that I'm going to mess this up if God doesn't intervene. But see, as normal or as common as these types of sentiments are, they, they betray an enormous misunderstanding in our hearts. Enormous misunderstanding. They expose a huge misunderstanding in so many areas. Misunderstandings of what we are or what God desires. Even things as basic as what it means to be a Christian. What it means to pray. What are we doing? What are we doing as Christians? Those, those who have heard and, and seen something of the, of the reality of the cross and who, who fellowship together in something of the truth are, are aware at some level of our deception in regards to, to many of these things. But still, it's amazing. It's amazing how many incredibly wrong understandings and ideas fill up and float around in our unrenewed minds and define and control our comprehension of our relationship to the Lord. Let me just say a few things very plainly, just, just to say them. You were not born again by the Spirit of God to receive divine assistance. 
the cross of Christ, the salvation of God, the indwelling person of the Son is, is in no way God's attempt to assist you with your life. I know that we'll all in this room say, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's, of course not. That's silly. Well, then why are, we still, why are we still praying for God to fix our lives? Why, why are we still acting as though we have a life independent of Christ that, that God and God should act on its behalf? Why, why do we do that? Why are we consumed with our goals and our purposes and plans that have nothing to do with the life that God's given us in Christ or, or His purposes for that life? It's easy to say, oh yeah, that's silly. God didn't offer us assistance. And yet, and yet we, we betray ourselves. You know, it's so easy to, it's so easy to quote, not I, but Christ. But our, our prayers and our desires, they give us away. They demonstrate how we think and what we think and why we think it. Why do I, why do I thank God for his gift of life and then immediately sit down and continue to plan my own? What's up with that? Where does that come from? Why do I read verses that say, you are not your own, you have been bought at a price, and then I ask for God's assistance with my plans? Why do I do that? Why do I love to talk about the mind of Christ, and then, and then I bombard heaven with my prayers that are out from my mind, out from my name, about my life? Why do I do that? These are things that I'd like you to consider. Um, and I'm saying, I'm saying these things to point something out to us. When we read verses like this one in Ephesians 6, we imagine that standing in the strength of the Lord is something that Paul did when he had need of God's strength. Or Paul is, Paul is um, writing a letter to these Ephesians and saying, hey, if things get bad, stand in the power of God's strength. You know, or, uh, we imagine that it's something that Paul learned to do when he was in prison or, 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 or when he was in hard circumstances being persecuted by the Jews or misunderstood by the church. You know, like he's saying, I've learned how to do this, this one thing that I do sometimes. It's not that. What I'm, what I'm suggesting to you is that standing in the strength of the Lord, learning to live in the power of His might, is something that Paul came to understand and, and, and experience as the manner by which he always lived. It's not an addition to Paul's natural gift mix. It's not an addition to Paul's abilities. In fact, standing in, in the strength of God's might excluded Paul's abilities and capacities and natural giftings. Standing in the strength of God's might meant accepting and abiding in the absolute powerlessness of the natural man. And so that, you know, this is what I think Paul is, is referring to when he mentions in other letters that we are those who put no confidence in the flesh. We put absolutely no confidence anywhere outside of Christ. What He is and what He is in us. And, 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 and frankly, again, I don't, I don't think that we... I, I'll speak for myself. I don't think that I know very much of what that means. In other words, I don't think that I have any idea how constant and how deep my confidence is in my flesh. I think that I think that we have the idea in our head that putting confidence in the flesh is something that we do sometimes. 
we might do sometimes rather than realizing that that's what we always do all the time wherever the cross has not dealt a death blow to something in our soul. Putting confidence in the flesh or standing in our own might is the most natural thing in the world to us. It's what we've done our entire lives. In fact, it's what we taught, we, 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 we taught, we teach each other to do. We've been taught, instructed how to do it, trained to do it by people and by ourselves. It's how the natural man lives. We live drawing upon our own resources. We understand things, drawing upon our own thinking, our, our own conclusions. And that's, honestly, that's fine for natural life. It just has nothing to do with being a Christian. We plan based upon our own strength, our own goals. We act towards others in the way that we want to be perceived based upon what we can, whatever act we can do. Some people got several different acts, depending on who you're with, you know. It, and they're good at all of them. Your own resources. We stand in our own capabilities, our own faculties, our own understanding, our own resources, our own ways. We, that's where we stand. And so when we read a verse that, you know, that has to do with standing in the strength of his might, the most natural thing in the world is to just imagine that God is extending some sort of temporary assistance or even permanent assistance or, or direction or ability that he offers us. But in reality, standing in the strength of his might involves this deep and real parting with everything everything in which we have stood previously and um, we, we talked about this in a, in a couple of our groups this week not exactly in this language but this is where my heart was going with it at least um, when we were talking about especially on Friday night we were talking about losing perspective in the Lord losing perspective in Christ somehow finding ourselves trying to see without any light and how that how we experience that you know how we as we as we grow up in the lord uh there's these wonderful times where we feel like we're seeing clearly by the mind of the lord we're seeing with such a great perspective that we know is not our own perspective we all hopefully have had and, and are having lots of uh, experiences of sharing the the lord's view it's such a wonderful thing to stand in His light and to see with His eyes. And this is what happens when a soul is growing up in Christ. And I, and, and I hope and I expect that, all, that those kinds of experiences are, are, are happening and growing to be more constant and more pure in all of us. But if you've had those kinds of experiences of seeing in His light and growing in His mind, then you've also had experiences where, where somehow, for some reason, the light that was shining so clearly in your heart has somehow begun to fade. It's like, it's like somehow dark clouds crept in when I wasn't looking or, or perspective slips away. Peace, peace goes right along with the perspective. We don't usually notice this when it begins to happen. Normally we notice it after the absence of light has started to define everything that we're seeing. And so my question is, what is actually happening when that takes place? What is actually transpiring in the soul? This has to do with our verse in Ephesians. I'm going to tie it back in here in a second. But what, what has to do in our, 
What, what does that have to do with in our hearts? The light, light that is God's view, light that is God's light, it doesn't just dissipate over time. It has nothing to do with time. Time is irrelevant. And God certainly doesn't ever desire for us to lose His perspective. In fact, His Spirit is seeking always to find a crack in our heart to give us more. He never takes anything from us. You have to understand that. God will never take anything of Christ from you. He's always trying to reveal all of Christ in you. So what happens? Well, the answer to that question has to do with our incredible propensity to turn back to the strength of our own might, to stand in our own might, our own power. It has to do with this gravitational, uh, this, this gravity-like attraction uh, to, to our own capacities, our own resources. We turn to them without effort. We reach for them without thinking. It's kind of like you ever been watching a movie and all of a sudden realize that the entire bag of chips is gone. It's kind of like that. You just reach for it without even thinking. You know, that's not a very good illustration, but it just came to mind. Uh, without even understanding what's happening, we, we we bring the tools of our own resources and, and capacities and abilities in. We bring them into the Lord's territory, into the Lord's light. It's like it's like the Israelites bringing in the the the, the foreign women that served foreign gods into Israel, and everything seems hunky dory for a few days or weeks, and then all of a sudden there's a drought in the land, and and and, and the Philistines attack, and what what happened? Something of our own resources, something of our own capacities and abilities is brought into the Lord's territory, into the Lord's light, and then we, and then we, we begin to stand in those things. Um, Ben was using an analogy this week that I thought was helpful. It was from the old, uh, what is that, a fairy tale? Is that what it's called? Hansel and Gretel? Uh, it, it, the, the, he was saying, kind of, this is my paraphrase, but that wherever the light of the Lord leads us, it's like we leave a trail of breadcrumbs behind us so that we always know the way back. Um, the author of Hebrews writes something like that where he, where he says, uh, of the men and women of faith in the Old Covenant, he says, and truly if they had called to mind the country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. Well, when we're brought into to a greater view by the Spirit of Truth, when we, when we are brought into a greater understanding of the life of Christ, we stand there and stare at it for a while and I think we all do this. We, we, we love it. There's such a great, uh, it's such a great experience to see the Lord. I mean, it, there's nothing like it. And we stare at Him in whatever view He's dealing with our hearts in. We stare at Him with fascination and peace and understanding. But then there's all these breadcrumb trails around us. They're the familiar things, the familiar things of ourselves that we're still carrying around in our unrenewed minds. They're the things that we have not yet seen or accepted to have no place in this territory, where we haven't accepted or understood that they're not part of this place of light. They have nothing to do with Israel. They have nothing to do with this, the boundaries of this land. They're the things that we know to be our strengths, 
They're the things that we can do or we can understand or we can be. They're the things that we're so accustomed to looking towards and looking to and resting in. Things that we find beneficial or things that we at least find harmless. The familiar little trails that lead back to ourselves. They all lead back to our own darkness. And we wonder what happened. You know, we look around in confusion and we say, where did the light go? Where did my perspective go? I could see so clearly on Tuesday, but where did that view go now? Or, or, or this meant, you know, this, this natural problem, it meant nothing to me a week ago in the light, but now I'm consumed with it again driving me crazy or this verse was exhilarating to me just a couple days ago but now it's just words on a page I'm not even interested what happened to me or this group it was true fellowship soul fellowship just last month but for some reason this month it's just a bunch of weirdos in a living room what's going on or the love of God. Oh, the love of God was, was, was an experience to my soul last night. But this morning it just feels like an idea. What's, what's happened? I'm hoping you all can relate to that. And in those kinds of times we're tempted to say, why did the light leave? But we're the ones that have left the light. Always. We're tempted to say, who did I, who did I let take my perspective from me? Or something like that. We're, we're blamers by nature. But we, we took it from ourselves when we followed a breadcrumb trail back to our first birth. We took it from ourselves when we decided to stand in something other than the strength of the Lord and the power of His might. We found another place to stand. We found another ground to stand on. Paul says in Ephesians 6.10, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. He's not telling you to be, go out there and be strong Christians or, 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 or telling us to trust the Lord for better circumstances or anything like that. Paul's telling us to, to repudiate in ourselves all that the cross has made dead to God. He says in Romans 6, Reckon yourself dead. In other words, being strong in the Lord begins with being absolutely powerless in yourself, recognizing that, recognizing ourselves to be entirely impotent in ourselves as ourselves. You know, we have nothing that is useful to the Lord. Not anything that is useful in and of itself. The Lord can become useful to his body in and through us but we have nothing in ourselves that is useful to him you need to understand that you need to settle that issue right now if you haven't settled it we have nothing in ourselves that he considers to be our strengths is what I'm trying to say please don't ever let a Christian leader tell you differently I know it sounds so nice for pastors or leaders to talk about how God is using our strengths and, and how He's created us so uniquely to function according to our strengths and our abilities. But that is absolutely false and humanistic and antichrist. If you want to know what I think about it. <laughs> Where in the world in the Bible do you find Peter talking about his strengths? 
or Paul talking about his strength? Where, where exactly do you find a single verse that has anything to do with using your strengths for the body of Christ? I don't know of any. Where do you see John talking about using his strengths to serve the Lord? Let me tell you something. Your strengths in the flesh are quite often your greatest <clears throat> spiritual liability, both to yourselves and to the body of Christ. Your strengths in the flesh are generally the areas where you refuse to allow the Lord's entrance, where you refuse to allow the Lord's death. They're the areas where you and I want to mix ourselves with something that must be purely Him. And we here have seen many, many leave the, the fellowship of the truth because they needed to feel like God appreciated their strengths. How many... How many poor Christians have been born again only to be immediately seduced by the idea that God has great plans for their natural strengths? My Lord, I, I say seduced because that's exactly what it is. A newborn baby Christian doesn't have the discernment to realize that such an idea contradicts the very spirit that they just received. A baby Christian can't yet understand that in the presence of their strength, the strength of God is absent. That is the foundational principle of the kingdom of God. In the presence of their resources, God's resources will not be found. That's what the cross is. Not I, but Christ. But so right away, we, we have people embarking on these wild goose chases. I mean, and, and these wild goose chases can last your whole life. Christian religion, a wild goose chase. Trying to figure out a way to make God use my strengths. As Paul says in, 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 in uh, Galatians to the, to the, to the church, uh, the Galatian believers, who has bewitched you? Galatians chapter 3. Having begun in the Spirit, are you trying to grow according to the flesh? Who sold you, who sold you this lie? And yet we're so willing to believe it. We're not really, I mean, you can't really blame it on the guy that, that fed you this lie. We, we love it. We, we're, the ones that, that, we're the ones that always brings the bag of bread, breadcrumbs with us wherever we go. You know, we're, we're the ones that return like a dog to our vomit, like a pig to the mud. This is a very seeker-sensitive message this morning. Um, but I'm just like you. I... You know, rather rather than being strong in the Lord and the power of His might, I return again and again and again to the strength of my might, the false strength of the flesh. Rather than clothing myself fully in Christ, I have these enormous areas where where I love to protect myself from Christ and and uncover myself from His covering, where where flesh is exposed, flesh is trusted. I'm trusting, the, I'm retaining. The flesh, and in all of those areas that I am, that I, I look to the flesh. In those areas, I'm not only deceived, but I'm entirely deceivable. Entirely deceivable, and I believe that's why Paul goes on right from this statement about uh, 
being strong in the Lord and the strength of his might, he goes right into this discussion about the armor of the Lord. Because I don't, I don't think that we often understand the nature of our battle. We don't understand how effortless and how natural it is for us to give ground in ourselves for deception. Wherever there is flesh being looked to, being counted on, being wherever there are the natural capacities of the natural man and his resources, his understanding, his anything, right there you are perfectly <coughs> deceivable. And so Paul takes a few sentences here and describes what, what must be our position. He describes the necessity for a believer to be fully girded, to be fully armed and protected by the truth, God's view, the truth as it has been established by God in Christ. Verse 11, he says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. A few months ago, I think we talked about the devil's place. Um, where, where you know, we, we asked the question, where does the devil have a place to affect you and, and to deceive you and I? Well, and the answer is wherever you're not fully clothed in Christ. And, and I mean by that, wherever Christ is not formed in you. I don't mean part of you is saved and part of you isn't. I mean wherever Christ is not formed in you, wherever there is flesh available and exposed to the enemy's influence. You're never going to stand firm against the wiles of the devil. As uh, it says, oh, it says right here, that's what the verse is, in verse 11, as it, uh, in, it, you're never going to stand against the wiles of the devil if, if you have, if you have uh, like a, uh, a big fleshy bullseye hanging out of the armor of God. Uh, <laughs> brings some interesting graphic pictures to my mind, but... You know, the purpose of the armor of God is to cover flesh. Why? Because flesh is where we are vulnerable. Flesh is where we are deceived. Flesh is where, uh, you know, in an army, I mean, in a, in, a, in a battle, you know, the guy with the sword or with the bow and arrow, what's he aiming for? The big giant metal thing on your chest or the fleshy part exposed, you know? Or that, that's, where, that's where you fall. That's where, you, that's where the, we, we, we go down every time. Paul says in, in verse 12, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness in this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Um, I, I've mentioned before in some of our studies of Paul's letters that I, I, don't, I don't... I'm not entirely sure how he's distinguishing between principalities and powers and rulers and spiritual hosts of wickedness or whatever. Uh, I mean, I, I, what I mean is I'm sure he has specific things in mind when he makes this list of titles. I don't know what he knew in, in regard to that or understand exactly what he's referring to with these divisions, but I think the main point here is, is able, you can understand it regardless. We're not fighting people. Your enemy as a Christian is never going to be the guy across the street or the grumpy boss at the office or, or even the Christian leader that taught you incorrectly for years or, or abused you in his role in the church. That's not your enemy. That has nothing really to do with it. Our battle is not earthly. Some aspects of our battle have expression in the earth, in situations or in places or in relationships. That's, that's true. But the places, the situations, the relationships, and the people are not really where we fight or what we fight. But let me just say, on the other hand, let me just say also that uh, 
I don't think Paul is primarily talking here about spiritual warfare in the way that it is often understood in the body of Christ, especially in the last few decades. Um, I mean, I don't think Paul's talking about territorial spirits over cities or, or spiritual mapping or deliverance ministries. I don't think that he's talking about praying and fasting to understand demonic inroads or to learn the hierarchy and schemes of the fallen angels. And If you don't know what I'm talking about, that's a good thing. Um, we're just going to keep it that way. Um, I believe that Paul's point here is simply this, that our battle isn't against bad guys or bad teachers or bad attitudes, nor is our battle, battle for good natural things, good happy households, good natural governments, good you know legislation. Our battle is for the eternal purpose of God in Christ. It is for the heart and the intention of God in and for his new creation. And therefore our battle is against the darkness of the natural man and the natural mind that is and always will be the rightful territory of the kingdom of darkness. That's how we're fighting. That's what we're fighting. We're fighting... Well, the only way you fight is by knowing the Lord. So don't 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 go in, don't go off into um, fairy tale land here with our the nature of our fight. The nature of our fight is to know the Lord, to be fully clothed in the knowledge of Him, to be fully. And that's why, see, we're not we're covered by the armor of God by truly knowing Him and our as, as our life. We're that that's where we're. We're we're, uh, we're girded in His faith and in His righteousness and in His salvation and in His word and in His truth. These are the things that Paul goes on to say here. And if we're not, then we are defined by the flesh and we are entirely exposed to the influence of the enemy. This is our battle. And to fight this battle, we're forever clothing ourselves with the truth, forever clothing ourselves with the reality of God's finished work in Christ. To fight this battle, Paul says, we through the through the revealing of Christ, we are putting on the full armor of God. Years ago, I remember reading verses about the armor of God, and wondering, you know, about putting on the armor of God, and then wondering what exactly it meant to put on these things. Um, I mean, I, I remember wondering, if this, is this something I'm supposed to say out loud? Like, okay, God, I am now putting on the helmet of salvation. Or, or if I was supposed to ask him for these things as though they were each individual unique terms that he would help me put on, or, or maybe I should uh, act out a process of getting spiritually dressed. I mean, I've heard a lot of those things taught, but it's not... It's not like that. You put on the armor of God in the same way you put on anything that is Christ. And Paul's talked about that in this letter, Ephesians chapter 4. He says, we're putting off the old man, we're putting on the new man through the renewing of the spirit of our mind. We're putting on Christ when Christ our life is revealed. We're putting, we're putting on the waistband of truth as the truth of Christ becomes more and more what we're walking in and what we find ourselves clothed in. We experience the shield of faith that quenches the fiery darts of the evil one. 
when our faith, when the faith of the Son of God in us becomes so real that lies just don't penetrate it. They can't penetrate it. That's the shield of faith. It's not a... Not a little treasure he gives you if you pray enough. It's faith that that sees and understands darts of unbelief and lies for what they are and cannot be touched by them. Lies begin to bounce off the faith that is being established in our heart. We put on the helmet of salvation when our mind is more and more consumed with and defined by the salvation that, that is Christ. When we know not just that we have salvation, but we actually begin to know the salvation that we have. Then we're putting on the helmet of salvation. It's the same thing with all these aspects of the armor. They're not, again, they're not like individual treasures that you go like in a video game. You know, I got the helmet of salvation and now I'm on to the sword of the spirit. It's not like that. These are experiences of Christ, all of them, that we learn to stand in and to experience and to close our, clothe ourselves with by the revealing of Christ. Our feet walk in and abide in the gospel of peace. Our words, our actions, our teachings, our fellowship becomes the expression of the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God that is sharper than a two-edged sword. We are those who walk and speak and share according to this word. We are those who are defined by that word. We are those who are judged by that sword. And there's no way that you can separate any of these aspects of the armor of God from something that Christ is because all of these things are something that Christ is and something that Christ is made unto you. Christ is, I am the truth, the faith of the Son of God. God says of Christ, I have appointed you as salvation. I mean, these are all things that Christ has... These are aspects of the I am. And, um, and these, these words, this language of Paul here in Ephesians chapter 6, um, these are illustrations that Paul gives us to, to explain what he means um, by telling us to stand strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. You know, first he says this sentence, stand strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Well, what does that mean? Oh, that means, that here, here's, here's an example of what that means. Here's, here's an illustration. It's like wrapping your mind in the truth of your salvation. It's like girding yourself in the, in the reality of, of Him who is the truth. It's like, it's like walking with a, with a shield of faith where everything that isn't according to the mind of the Lord, just bounces right off of you. This is why he's describing these things. Uh, so we'll stop with that.